0: Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asheba karbanu mikolamim, v'natan lanu etorato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-Torah. Amen. Baruch haba Adonai. May we see Mashiach speedily and soon in our days with the rebuilding of the third temple and with the gathering in of the divine sparks from the four corners of the earth. Amen. Well, this is the Agarit to the Romans, chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. I will be correlating it with Parsha Bamibar and also a little bit or a lot of bit of Parsha Behukotai. So, Parsha Bamibar begins in chapter 1 of Sefer Bamibar and goes in chapter 1 to chapter 4, verse 20. Bekukotai is in Sefer Vayikra, chapter 26, starting at verse 3, going all the way to the end of Vayikra. So, verse 12 in the Agarit to the Romans, chapter 2. For as many as have committed averos and sinned lacking the Torah, shall also perish lacking the Torah. And as many as have committed averos which Averos is sin, under the Torah shall be condemned under the Torah. For it is not the Shomei Torah, the hearers of the law of Moshe Revenu, who are Zadokim, who are accounted to be Yitzhakim Hashem, which is means justified. It says it is the Shomei not just the Shomei, but the Shomrei, HaTorah, the keepers of the Torah, who will be counted ye, Yitzhak Im Hashem. So if you want to be justified with Hashem, be a keeper of the Torah. All founded in your amuna that Hashem is the one true God. You must Shema and Shomer. Verse 14. For when non-Jews who have not a Torah may do by nature what Torah requires, they not having a Torah are a gazette, which is law, for themselves. In that they demonstrate that the Torah at work, the Torah written in their vote, their maspoon, which is their conscience, Level vote is their hearts, their inclinations. Uh, mankind has two inclinations. We have an evil inclination and a good inclination. And these are our two guardian angels that are to keep us in the way in which we desire to go. And they, the two angels or the two inclinations, by the way, submit to whichever one we're desiring to go with. So this is why it's important to understand that if we want to do good, we can do good. And if we don't want to do good, then Hashem helps us by all means to do so. The choice is ours. This is why in Devarim chapter 30, Hashem says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. I.e., if I were you, I would choose life. Because if you want to, you can choose life or you can choose death. But if that's ever a struggle for you, choose life. Continuing on in verse 15, it says, let's start over in verse 15 because we kind of got swerved. So in that they demonstrate the Torah at work, the Torah written in their level vote, their maspun, their conscience, also bearing witness. So not only in the inclinations, but also the conscience, it'll bear witness or or also bearing witness while their thoughts bring accusation or even make defense among themselves so in other words if you really break down the chunkiness of this particular verse this pasuk you have your inclinations which are stocked in torah then you have your conscience which is steeped or stocked in Torah. In other words, there's Torah there. When we hear Torah, we know that there's an innate goodness to it, that there is something within us that naturally goes, you know what, that that that's right there. That's something. You know, I probably shouldn't kill anybody. You know, because that's totally a Torah thing. But anyway, and then not only that, so you have your inclinations, you have your conscience, and then you have your own thoughts. That either bring the accusation that say, Hey, you know, that's this is something you shouldn't be doing, and you're you're putting yourself on a really bad road, or it's gonna even make a defense among yourself, or two things you can look at this two ways: it can make a defense for you and saying, please don't do that because if you do that, this, this, and this will happen, like consequences, or it can make a defense for you by rationalizing, no, it's fine, you can get away with a little bit of death. It's not a lot of bit of death. It's just one person. Just kill them. Again, keeping with that same very, very uh, exaggerated and extreme example. Um, you know, but anyway, you can make a defense for yourself, whether it be safeguarding or whether it be rationalizing. We do this all the time uh, with things that we know will not be healthy for us to eat. At least I do. Uh, I look at a the can of the wonderful kosher cinnamon rolls that are just so delicious and it's like if you buy this can you know you're gonna eat four and like there's five in the can and like you should probably share with people and you also you should probably not buy this all the time because this is not good for your health and it's just like ah oh, I can get this can and you get the can and you eat the four and you don't share and you end up eating the fifth one later at a Uh, separated time and uh yeah you feel really horrible and then you start noticing it in your body so you know you went against your inclination you went against your conscience and you went against your thoughts that's three witnesses right there so self-contained witnesses we all have verse 16 in the yom HaDin, the day of judgment The Yom Hadin, also called the Day of the Lord, by the way, for the colloquial uh, English speakers. It says, in the Yom Hadin, when according to my Besorat, Besorah Hageula, according to my good news of redemption, Hashem through Rebbe Melech Hamashiach Yeshua is to judge the secrets of Kol Bnei Adam. Alright, so Kobine Hadam, which is all mankind. Men, women, children, elders, youth, in between, all around. Okay? All colors, all tribes, all tongues, all nations of people. So I want to start with verse 16 because there's a hot button in this word in this verse. And Sha'ul says, According to my Besorah Hageula, that's a problem because it's just like when did it become your basora and not the basorah? Well, let's break that down because you got to understand, too, we take ownership in the word of Hashem. We know that the Torah is the Torah, but it can also be our Torah, which means when Torah becomes our Torah, we become one with it. But I'm going to go ahead and go straight to the Peshitta. Because I was like, man, this guy just really went there. He says, according to my own gospel. Like, if you really want to break it down. So, looking at the Peshitta, it has this word for my own, right? So, breaking it down, the meaning and the definition here for my Basora. The commentary or the definition goes into saying this is via Mashiach Yeshua, and it's going into this fact of it's a hand handed down or handed over or given through, or by proximity. In other words, Shaul has taken this ownership as the shliach of the besora, so. If you understand anything about being a shliach in the mind frame of a Jew, because Shaul, he says he's a Jew, just read chapter 11 of this same agerit. We will get there one day and may it be post redemption because, you know, we'll still be learning after then. Maybe we won't even need to know what Romans 11 means after that, but, you know, it'll still be fun to kind of to play around with it anyway. Um, because, you know, at the final redemption, we're all going to know as we're fully known. So it's going to be like, oh, yeah, you didn't know that? Well, in a nice way, because we're not supposed to be like that. But anyway, so Sha- Shaul here is a Jew. He's saying I'm a shliach of this of this gospel. And it's now my gospel because a shliach in Jewish thought counts as the person who is the sender, the sent or the sent e Counts as the sender when it comes to the mission. So, in other words, when let's go back to Parsha Vaishlach, this is when Yaakov sends out angels to his brother Asaph in Sefer Bereshit. And so, when this happens, Asav encounters these messengers, these angels of Yaakov. And it is is it is as if he has encountered Yaakov himself. But it's angels. It's messengers. And it's just like, it's not Yaakov. Yaakov's somewhere on his way to meet him. But there's this group that's a welcoming party. And so with that being the case, these angels literally come bearing the name of Yaakov to bring words of Yaakov, to bring... The, the desire, the heart, the mind, whatever you want to call it, of Yaakov to Esau. So through the, the messengers, through the Shliakim, it is as if Yaakov and Esau have met. Now, they really meet later, obviously, and there's some beautifulness that transpires between that time frame, because what makes their encounter so peaceful is the battling that happened between the encounter, not only with the messengers encountering Aesov, but the wrestling match that Yaakov has with Hashem himself. So, or with the angel of Hashem, which again, the angel of Hashem is a Shliach, and it's accredited to the Shliok as if it is Hashem, because Memted is a shliach of Hashem. Also, you need to know Yaakov says when he wrestles with this angel, he says, I've seen the face of, of God, Paniel. So there's all that. So what am I really getting at? Well, I want to take us back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Yeshua says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And what did Yeshua command us? Because really, when you look at the links in the chain of what are the teachings of the Talmudim of Mashiach? What are the teachings of their Talmudim? What are the teachings of Shaul? What are the teachings of Barnabas? What are the teachings of Silas? What are the teachings of Timothy? And so on and so forth. They're everything that Yeshua has commanded. And what did Yeshua command? Yeshua commanded everything his father sent him to command. What is that? What did the father originally command? None other than Torah. Torah has never changed. And there's that, you know, so it's just kind of like, we're going to get into some understanding that the Torah had to rearrange itself. But when you rearrange something in Hebrew, the word is still there. In other words, if you want to turn Shabbat into Teshuva, the word for Shabbat is still in Teshuva. Because the only way to spell shabbat is using the same letters that spell tashuv so just saying there's that so when the torah rearranges itself it's still the same torah still got the same things it just had to give a a message to uh to illustrate a point if you will so if we want to learn my example that i just said about shabbat and Teshuvah, then when you look at why would you rearrange shabbat to Teshuvah? To give you a picture or a message or a message or an understanding that if you are a keeper of Shabbat, if you're an observer of Shabbat, you also have to understand contained in Shabbat is elements of Teshuvah. Literally, if you keep the Shabbat, it's considered as if you've kept the whole entire Torah. Okay, because putting, putting your will aside and saying, Hashem, you're the creator of the universe. Nothing that I have belongs to me. And everything that I've worked for during the past six days, I now hand over to you to take care of everything. You've placed your full trust in Hashem just by keeping the Shabbat. And if you've been a person that hasn't studied Torah all week, you haven't done any mitzvot all week, chasbe shalom on Shabbat, you do mitzvot, which is teshuva. Because if you refrain from doing something you've been doing, and then you begin to do something you're supposed to be doing, i.e. serving Hashem, believing in Hashem, trusting in Hashem, communicating, communing, taking personal time with Hashem, undistracted, undisturbed. That is teshuva, my friends. So, Shaul, being a shliach of the Besorah, he's taken on what Yeshua said. He's taken on teaching to observe all that his Mashiach has commanded. The end of Matityahu twenty-eight twenty says, "And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even unto the end of the world, even unto the end of time. However, you want to phrase that, because it's all the same. Okay, so." I know, it's really crazy to think about time and age and world, okay? Like, to the end of the world in its current format, Mashiach is with us, because the world will be changing at the end of this time period. So you can say end of the world or the end of time, and realize the end of the world is not the doom and gloom that we grow up with in church about hellfire and brimstone and all sorts of traumatic events. I mean, there will be, there will be levels of destruction for sure. But if we are really doing our jobs as Lapid Jews, then we are hastening the redemption and we're lessening the judgment or sweetening the judgment is the proper term, which when you sweeten the judgment, you turn something that's majorly horrible into something less than majorly horrible. Okay. So Anyway, um, we can see this if we just look through Yermiyahu in the commentary and look at the time frame that Yermiyahu was prophesying to Israel to mend their ways, to make tikkun, to make teshuvah, to return to Hashem, to stop placing their trust in idols, to stop placing their trust in foreign relations. Babylon is coming at you, is what Yermiyahu was saying. And the people were like, that's OK, we got Egypt. Egypt was like, oh, uh, no, you don't. And they're like, well, what about this other country? And the other country is like, well, we're a little busy right now. And side note, uh, your God says you shouldn't be making these uh, foreign diplomacies, diplomatic uh, ties anyway. Like, you're supposed to be serving him. So why are you looking at us? You're probably doing something wrong. You should probably check on that. And because they put it off and they put it off and they put it off, Babylon came at them, destroyed the temple... Shackled us in chains. And again, just last week on the Haftar podcast, Hasis Baz brought down the prophecy that who gave that he put the wooden yoke on saying, Yisrael, you can either go into exile because it's now too late to make teshuva, which by the way, they tried to make teshuva after this prophecy. They didn't want to listen to him before and they're still not listening to him now. So it's just like, what is going on? We're the same way sometimes. Hashem is like saying the same old thing. And we're like, no, Hashem, we'll, we'll be fine. And he's just like, no, you won't. And we're like, yes, we will. And he's like, no, you won't. And he's like, so since you said you will and you totally weren't, then uh, these are your options. And you're like, okay, Hashem, I want to do what you said before. And he's like, sorry, too late. These are now your choices. Make these choices. And You're like, can I have an option C? And he's like, I gave you A or I gave you B. Which one's it going to be? If you want option C, it will be option B. Okay. So anyway, the wooden yoke prophecy went down and the people were like, no, we don't want any of that. We just want, we want the temple back. And they were taken in chains. So they could have been taken in a wooden yoke, which is way less worse than being taken down shackled in chains and stuff. Okay. Cause whatever the difference between those two options are, I imagine a wooden yoke, even though it's heavy, is not as horrible as chains. Okay. And shackles and all sorts of metal things. Okay. Uh, also, and there could be debate on that. I will give room for that. And that's neither here nor there when it comes to this podcast, but just pointing out that the, it was weighted too late. And at this point, the people wanted to make teshuva, and they started, like, tearing their clothes, and sackcloth, and ashes, and fasting, weeping, crying out to Hashem, like, Tachanun on 1100, okay, the Tachanun prayer we say after the Minka, Shemone yesterday. like, really pouring our heart out to Hashem, you know, leaning down on our arm, you know, bowing our heads before Hashem, and Yermiah who's like, hey, Y'all, it's too late for this. If you would have only done this when I was prophesying to you before. And it's just like, why do we have to wait so late? So anyway, that's the the end of the age that Mashiach says we're to go out until he returns. Teach people, teach non-Jews, teach Jew-Jews, teach Ninjits Jews and Jujit Jews legit Jews, okay, go get Jews, okay, non-Jews, whatever, if it's a person with a neshama, the Hashem breathing to them, then go teach them, (laughs) and it's just like, well, you know, do I really have to go tell, you know, people who don't even know what Torah is, don't even want to speak Hebrew, do I, I'm supposed to go teach them, if they're open, yes, you are, so, we do that, right? And so when that happens, it goes from being ha to your Basora. So that's how much Shaul has attached himself to this very message. He says, this is my Basora." So according to that, we know that Hashem has a time of judgment coming. We just read that in last week's Agarit to the Romans earlier in this chapter. And so, the secrets of Ben, or Cole Ben-Adam, what are the secrets? So, let's see here. Looking at this, there's an understanding that, you know, there are things that are hidden within our hearts that has to come out. And when that is the case... Hashem can see those things. This is the bracha we say during the Anambekoach. We say, you who are the knower of mysteries, and you're the one who knows the secret thoughts. Okay? So those secret thoughts are going to be judged. And if they're good thoughts, they're judged in good favor. If they're bad thoughts, they're judged in bad favor. So what kind of self-introspection do we take? So that's verse 16. So let's go back to verse 15. Sleek out, pardon my voice. Okay. So again, in the Yom Hadin, just to make sure we all understand that, that is the coming day when these judgments are set to occur. So at some point with the return of Mashiach, there will be the Yom Hadin. And, you know, we're all going to have to go through that whether we need to be judged favorably or, or bad, because we've chosen to be judging bad. Because by the way, you get to choose how you want to be judged, because you know how you're judged. You're judged by the way that you judge and with the measure of judgment that you use. So if you want Hashem to have mercy upon you, make sure you're having mercy upon others. Judge favorably. Judge mercifully. Judge kindly. And Try not to judge if you don't have to, okay? Like, who gave us the uh, the badge of make sure you go out and judge today? It's just like, okay, that doesn't really need to happen. So, <clears throat> love our neighbors. We love ourselves. Baruch Hashem. All right. So, verse fifteen, demonstrating the Torah at work. Okay because I I love this whole section, 12 to 15. Okay. Because what about family members who are not Torah observant? What about non-Jews? They're all going to be judged and we're going to be judged. And there's going to be a difference between those who are Torah keeping and those who are not. So Shaul is letting us know right here, again, Another thing that I have not been vocal about since starting the Aguera to the Romans that I want to take this time to do so, Sha'ul's writings represent one rabbinic opinion. Now, that may sound like a cop-out. That may sound like, why are you saying that? It's important to know. In Judaism, there is not one opinion there are at least 70 because it is said that there are 70 different interpretations for each mitzvah, for each Torah concept, 70 faces of Torah. So if you're going to get into Torah, understand it's going to be opinion upon opinion upon opinion upon insight upon insight upon insight. Upon insight. And Pirkei vote brings down this beautiful thing. Actually, I'm going to shout out Ishma'ale, which is our uh, Jewish Superman, uh, he dropped this off, uh, this past Shabbat, a little Pirkei, um, Pirkei Avot, and, uh, let's see if I can find it here, yeah, Brukashem. okay, so check this out, <clears throat> so this is in chapter five, and it says, delve and delve into it, for everything is in it, Even after you understand a Torah concept, delve into it once again, and you will understand even more, or you will understand it in an even more profound way. For everything is in it. The Torah contains myriad interpretations. That's from the Midrash Shamuel. And then it says, in addition, delve into its revealed portion And delve into its esoteric portion. That's from the Lev Avot. Let's get a little bit more here. Everything is in it. The Torah is the blueprint for all creation. Understanding the depths of the Torah, therefore, leads to comprehension of all of creation. The Torah, therefore, leads to comprehension of all of creation. Okay. All the craziness that's going on in the world. By the way, that's from the Maharal. If we need to know why the world is so crazy, we should probably delve into the Torah and see what are the ramifications of a crazy, chaotic world. Because if you're studying Parsha Bechukotai, you understand that Hashem says there's going to be peace everywhere, all in your land. No sword, no crazy animal tax, none of that. Your, your enemies are not going to come and attack you. Everything is going to be good. You know, why? Because you keep my Torah. You go in my ways. And therefore, if we don't go in his ways, that ensues, that brings on chaos. So why is there chaos in the world? Probably because we're not diving into the blueprint of creation and putting everything in its right and proper place putting our food in its right and proper place, putting our human relations in its right and proper place, putting our human and nature relations in their right and proper place. Okay. What, what is going on in our own mind and hearts? What are we doing with our lives? Okay. If we change those things for the way that it should be, i.e. going by the blueprint of creation, we will change creation. And change begins with us. Change begins in our own body. Change begins in our own heart and our own mind. Change begins in our own home. So if we want to change the world, change your home. Change your own self. And that's how you do it. If you don't believe me, listen to Chavetz Chaim. He turned the world on its head with Shimraz HaLashon. With the, the guarding of the tongue, the guarding of the language. You know, so one more thing out of here. Uh, it says, additionally, everything, meaning all of Torah, is in it. And every aspect of Torah, every detail of Torah is a microcosm of the entire Torah. That's from the Rebbe and Bur- Biorim. So, <clears throat> I don't know why my voice is all cracking up over here, but Brukishem. So when it comes to understanding who's in Torah, who's not in Torah, it's the blueprint of creation. So we're all in it. It's just who is embracing it and who's not. So if you don't know that you should be embracing Torah, then you should know that you should. And if you do know that you're embracing Torah, then know that's how you will. That's your framework okay, that you'll be uh, under condemnation or not with, okay? So, our family members who are not Torah observant, if they commit Torah breaking outside of Torah, they're judged at that level, they're judged at that measure, okay? So, it's hard to really use the the Torah judgment against someone who doesn't know about the Torah. This would be the picture of a parent who never told his child what was wrong. And then they beat them or took disciplinary action. I say beat them first because that's how I was raised. I was raised in a house where the, the rod was definitely not spared. And it was just kind of like, can we spare the rod for just a moment? No, we cannot. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know why I keep doing this bad stuff because I know there will be a rod involved. And it's like, I wasn't really uh, thinking about the rod at the moment. And now I, I will be forced to think about it. But anyway, <clears throat> so when the, when the disciplinary action takes place, the discipline has to match the level of information. If a child does not know to put their hand on a hot stove, and they put their hand on a hot stove; they're introduced to the hot stove. But there can be no one that comes up against the child and goes, "Don't you put your hand on that stove, boy? I told you, I da 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 da." You know, and all this kind of stuff. But if you've went through the ramifications of what it means to put your hand on a hot stove, don't put your hand on a hot stove now. When the hot stove is approached, and someone try and the child tries to put their hand on it, now you can smack the hand, grab the child would be preferable, and talk to them. Hey, what's going on? Why are you doing this? You know, obviously you can only have conversation on a certain level, a certain level. But if the child is being very rebellious, but like I'm touching the hot stove, I don't care what you say. That's when you stop sparing the rod. But anyway. That's just a small picture of what that's like. So that's verse 12. So working my way back to verse 15, because again, we're talking about the fact that there are non-Jews who are doing elements of Torah. And we have to know that since the Torah is the blueprint of creation, we're created with Torah. Again, Zohar Parshat Shemini brings that down. That man was created by the Torah. This is why Bereshit 126 is what it is. Hashem said, let us make man in our image. Who is the us before creation? In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. Okay. Before creation, we're talking about. And Mishle chapter 8 talks about, I was with him daily. I was his delight. I was his nursling. I was set up from before the foundations. Before there were any waters in the depths. Okay. Like all of that stuff. It was Hashem and his Torah. Or... As in Yochanan 17, it was Hashem and his Mashiach. Okay? Which is Yeshua. So Yeshua is the Torah. This is why we have to understand the Torah became flesh. The Torah became a human being. The Torah was already written on flesh. I.e. the scroll. So what's more to make it actually walk around? And I will shout out. My uh, fellow Avenger, Akav, uh, who went on a card throwing spree because he's our Shomer version of Gambit. Uh, he did an excellent uh, post on this. I'm just going to shout him out. <clears throat> he was bringing in uh, different sources from the uh, from the Kabbalah on Parshat Bekukotai by the way. And so, he brings down, obviously, Yochanan chapter 1, skipping through here, uh, going straight to verse 14, he says, the Torah became a human being and lived with us. We saw his Shekinah, the Shekinah of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Zohar 2, volume 260a, <clears throat> the Torah and God are entirely one. Mashiach Yeshua says, I and my father are one. So there's that. Uh, Continuing on, it says, by compressing his infinite wisdom into practical and relatable laws of the Torah, God allows us to understand him, so to speak, by applying our minds to his laws. That is the Tanya chapter four, verse through five. And then going on, it says, so The Torah is God's wisdom as he considers himself, as he considers us, and as he considers his world. It contains the wisdom with which he creates the world and manages it. As the Torah exists in the spiritual realms, it has more than one application. After all, the Torah is not just God's knowledge and wisdom. It is his will and inner desire. So, I mean, that's just so much right there, you know, when you really just think about it. So, Selah. Now, with that being the case, if you be just a person who hears the words of Torah, as in verse 13 of the to Rome, chapter 2, if you're just a hearer and... You want to be like a-okay in the proverbial kingdom USA. If you're a hearer and not a doer, then, you know, you're not really getting anything. You're just taking time to hear. It's just like, oh, great. That's awesome. It would be like if you went to school and went to all of the lessons but never took the tests. And which if you never take the test, you never get the opportunity to make the grade to whether you pass or fail. So... It is with Torah that if you don't do it, but you know about it, you become, my friends, what's called a demon. Now, that was really harsh and I forgot to warn you, but you need to know this verse. Sleekah. So there's a verse that uh, is written That says it's in uh, Yaakov chapter two, verse 19 says, you believe that there is one God that's good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Verse 20, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Yitzhak? on the altar. And I'm going to end it right there. Anytime you go back to Abraham and you go back to Abraham and his sons, it's all people who were doers of the words that were uttered from Hashem. This is why today, if you will hear my voice, the word here, Shema, if you're going to be a Shema person, you're going to be a person who obeys what the voice says. You're gonna act out and flesh out what the voice has proclaimed. So just wanna point that out. That you want to be a person who is Shomer over the Torah. Definition of Shomer. It says, This is from the Targum. A guard or a preserve. Okay, you're gonna be a guard, it's gonna you're gonna be kept, you're going to designate. Also to be on your guard, to be observant. Okay. This is why observing observant Judaism centered in Messiah Yeshua. That's what Lapid is. Uh, and then it says to be on your guard. Um, just making sure we get all the, yep. Connected. Okay. So if you want to do that, connect it with a positive order, it is a positive command. That's one of the phrases. And when you look at the word for Shomer, the first use is Bereshit 2.15. And it is used in the phrase Eden Le Avda Ul Shamra. So basically Eden, so Eden to dress and to keep it, to cultivate it, to guard it. Okay, so God placed man in the garden of Eden, the garden that is of Eden, to do avoda and shomer. Okay, so avoda is a service, it's a cultivation, and then you got your shomer, which is you're keeping it and you're guarding it. So I love how Pierre K de Rebbe Eliezer brings down the garden was watered and everything. The plants grew on their own. Um, Sharnath sure Pincus and Parshah Behar brought down the fact that before we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the angels attended our needs and served us all of our food and drink and that we had no need to provide food for ourselves. So you got the garden growing on its own. You got all of our provisions being made. So what in the world are we guarding and keeping? Well, because the rab the Azer brings down, this is the Torah. This is Torah study. <clears throat> now, again, if you're doing Torah study, you're going to study to do. Again, you don't just study Torah to just let it sit and be like, Oh, I'm awesome. I learned so much Torah. Just like, so what did Torah say? Torah said, you should probably do this. You should hear and do, literally, we will do, then we will hear. Okay. You, you are to, oh, say what you do in the Torah. Ose is the word for to do, to make, to act. Okay. So that's also one thing. So when we look at the fact that non-Jews who don't have the Torah, i.e. they don't, really know anything about the oral Torah. They may know about the written Torah, but they don't really read it because they're encouraged not to for some reason. But by nature, by the way, it says they may do what the Torah requires. Nine times out of 10, a person who doesn't have the Torah, they're probably okay with like not stealing something. Okay, they're probably okay with not um, fashioning or making an idol, they're probably okay with not uh, abusing someone and like causing them physical injury to the point that they're not able to work, they're probably okay with not burning up someone's field. These are all different things in the Torah, so by nature non Jews have aspects of Torah. And when they do that, they show the Torah at work, that the Torah is written in their heart. Okay. Like back to verse 15. So we have to understand that the fact that we were created from Torah, there are parts of us that just naturally do Torah because it's just like, It's in us, you know, and it's just kind of like, well, what is the deal? Why are we not all just immersed in Torah? Well, again, there has to be a choice. There has to be a fact of, do you even want to convert? Do you even want to be one of Hashem's children? Because the whole world, all of creation belongs to Hashem. Jews and non-Jews alike are children of God. But Hashem chose Israel first. This is what we call the firstborn or the first fruits. And so, when you look at the fact of your firstborn child, if you have more than one child, those other kids are still your children. Okay, those other children are still your children. But you have a firstborn, and then you have your children. So it is with Yisrael and the nations. Hashem loves the nations too. This is why He sent Mashiach ultimately. Because, number one, when it came to Adam, we failed. Okay, we ate from the tree. We didn't do what we were supposed to do. When it came to Yisrael, we failed. We worshiped the golden calf. We didn't do what we are supposed to do. Now, Mashiach has come to make amends for that. And he's doing what we should have done the first two times. He's taken the Torah to the world, okay? And he did it through his children, his 12 Talmudim. Because, again, Judas was replaced, okay? You can just read the end of Acts chapter 1 and see who replaced him. It was not Shaul. So through these 12 Talmudim, <clears throat> who were apostles, which is Shliach, sent ones, they went out and they spread the Torah to all the world. And that ultimately was what's supposed to happen because the nations become obedient to the word of God. And that's ultimately the Alam Haba. So when the light of the world shines forth from Jerusalem, all throughout the world, all throughout the globe, every tribe, every tongue, every nation comes before Hashem. And they bow, they confess before Hashem that He is the King of kings, He's the Lord of lords. His word is true, He is one. Okay? Like, that is that is the the fact that is the reality that is what we're headed towards which is why as Lepid jews we're supposed to be doing all that we can to make this a reality again it starts with us do we ourselves even have this obedience do we ourselves even bow before shem you know these are questions we have to ask ourselves so one of the things that's brought up in this whole section too is that the, the Torah being at work in our hearts and it references Romans chapter 8 verse 4 and when you look at this chapter it brings down a beautiful thing. First of all, Rider <clears throat> Hashem, I can do a, a full podcast on this but the verses surrounding verse four and chapter eight are very, very interesting. For number one, uh, the verse three talks about what was impossible for the Torah since it was weakened on account of the flesh. God has done sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering. He condemned sin in the flesh. So, There's uh, actually insights to this in this week's Parsha Bekukotai for the Diaspora. And it is in the Hasidic Insights of Vayikra 2626. And it has to do with the fact that the primordial Torah embodied in the sapphire tablets, which was the unlimited, unrestricted, unaffected by creation tablets. This was literally like World to come, Alhamdulillah, rebuild final temple and go into Eretz Israel and the whole world be brought eternal salvation. These tablets. So those tablets got broken when the golden calf happened. So we never ever got a chance to really experience that Torah, and it goes into commentary about when that happened. The Torah fell. It says the Torah failed, that is, its sublime meaning became couched in physical terms in order to address the physical realities of the world, i.e. it became weakened on account of the flesh. So God had to send a son, because when Mashiach comes, if we're found to be in an unworthy or undeserving manner, this time when the Torah, which is flesh now, when it gets broken, that's totally fine. That's actually going to make it more alive. Because remember, remember, Mashiach is the life and the resurrection. So, how do you kill life and how do you kill resurrection? When you kill it, you just make it more life and you make it more resurrection. Because when Mashiach's body was put into the ground, he brought atonement for the whole land. Okay? Because when you bury the, the body of Messiah, wherever he's buried, he brings a level of atonement to that area, which is why the grave of a is so sought after in Judaism to go to pray. You create a holy space with that body. The beautiful thing is that was three days for Mashiach, but on that third day, he's no longer in the grave. So now where is he? He's in each of us who've embraced him and we're going throughout the world and making sanctified spaces for Kedusha. And then we're also understanding that Mashiach elevated into the heavenlies. He was ascended and he's sitting at the right hand of the father in power. And he will return to rest his kingship on the earth. But until then, <clears throat> it's who who are his who are his tabernacles? Who are his Tamadim? who are his people? Who are his temple in the world? Who is his spiritual temple of living stones that have been built up? That's us. So anyway, uh, that's a little bit on that, that the the Torah through Mashiach Yeshua has been able to do what happened to, uh, to do what the, the broken and fallen Torah could not do. So just a little bit on that. That's from Parsha bechukotai Hasidic Insights. Please check that out. It'll give you way, way much more understanding. But anyway, uh, the Agarit to Rome, verse eight, or chapter eight, verse four. The requirement of Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Ruach. And when you look at the fact of what is the requirement of the Torah? It's that we don't succumb or fall the desires of the flesh like the Torah did. Okay. We need to be like Mashiach Yeshua who descended into the flesh, but ultimately he buried it and he resurrected it and caused it to ascend and elevate back to where it's supposed to be. Originally when Hashem created us, he created us in the image of himself without sin, perfected. Okay. And all we needed to do was keep that, cultivate that, maintain that. And so the requirement of the Torah is to get back to that point. This is why later in the Aggadah to Rome, chapter 10, we see that Mashiach is the end or the goal of Torah, which is to get back to the unfallen form. This is why that is the requirement of the Torah. So, yes, we should be doing mitzvot. Yes, we should be loving Hashem. Yes, we should do the Shema. Yes, we should love our neighbors we love ourselves. That's the image that we were created in. And that is the requirement of Torah. So we go well beyond the requirement because that's just the foundation. It's like Baruch Hashem, you've gotten back to the level of Adam where you listen to God now and you walk with him in the cool of the day. But you're supposed to go beyond. You're supposed to walk by the Spirit. Hushim shouldn't have to tell you what to do. You do it already. You, you, and you'd want to do more, you know, like when you're a child, you learn the rules, but when you're an adult, you add to the rules. Okay. It's not just enough for you to know, don't be mean to your parents. uh, Make sure you do your homework. It's like, well, now I go out and I get a job. I now build a family. I now, you know, start a business or a career. I now, you know, give my heart to Hashem on a greater and deeper levels, because as a child, you do the the basic things you're being taught. But as an adult, you have to take those to the next level. That's what we have to do with Torah. We have to take Torah to the next level. And again, this will be why we're not under the law. This is why we're not under the Torah, because we're above it. We're beyond it. Okay, it's our foundation. So everything we do now is just icing on the cake. So, Brugesham on that. Um, also, just on verse 15 again, that in the Or HaKaim, a couple of Torah portions ago, he did, <clears throat> wow, he did this whole section on um, the levels of soul and the divine light that exists in mankind. And it was a beautiful section. It was a lot of Zohar drops, but he was going into the fact that there is divine light, a divine spark that's placed in every single human being and it's measured out. So for those of us that do come to Hashem and give our all to him to serve him, that light gets brighter and brighter and brighter and causes us to achieve higher levels of soul. This is our nefesh, our ruach, our neshama, chaya, yechida, and all that. Okay, so all these different levels of soul brings out more and more that light. But for those of us who get caught up in the passions of the world and stay low level, so to speak, that light is covered up and we don't really know it's there. Which is why gathering in the divine sparks is such a thing that You have to be willing to find those sparks, whether it be you and yourself. If you're not a person who follows Hashem, you have to know His light is in you. And then as you start to seek Hashem more, He opens up that light. And the thing is, whenever you have a person who has light that's been covered up by passions of this world, it's going to be a very painful process. Because in order to bring out of concealment the hidden light of Hashem, there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some struggles. There's going to be dying to self. You know, ultimately, because Mashiach, when he became sin for us, that's when he was pinned to the stake. That's a horrible time. But that has to happen to all of us. That whatever is covering up the divine light in Hashem, it has to be annihilated because it's a it's a bushel it's an impeder. okay like when something is impeding the way it's got to get busted up and moved out so this is what has to happen so i just want to encourage us for this section of the Aguirre to rome that we have to understand torah is in us we're made by it and uh parsha bekuco teaches us that when you understand that and when you act in that, Hashem opens up more and more and more and more. And it's, it's beautiful. And then you got Parsha Bar, which teaches us that when you start from that basic level of you've renewed yourself by coming to Hashem and you're walking with Him. Now you find your place with Him and you begin to journey through life with Him. And life into the world to come as well because this isn't the end of it you know this is our new beginning when we come to hashem and when we're immersed with him and when we're raised with him and then it goes on Le'olam va'id, so hashem. So just to drop in some rabbi gq on Parsha bami bamibar to conclude our time he says this the zohar states The form of the sanctuary corresponds to the form of the work of creation. Thus, the various different areas making up the temple courtyards and buildings correspond to the different worlds. Discussed in the Kabbalah, as explained in the Mishkenei Elion by Rabbi Moshe Luzado, a.k.a. Ramkal. The arrangement of the twelve tribes and four camps around the sanctuary corresponds to the four camps of the divine presence and the four camps of angels that channel the flow of divine sustenance into the world. This is why being a part of Israel is so important. We're members who are branches of the vine. We're attached to the vine and Mashiach is the true vine who is the scent of Hashem. He's the planting of Hashem. And through him, through us, this divine beneficence comes and flows into the world. Okay, so these aspects of the Merkava, which is the chariot, these are aspects of the Merkava seen by the prophets representing the system of providence through which God governs the world. The four camps correspond to the four roots of creation, kindness, judgment, compassion, and their manifestation in the reality, which is kingship. And it says, and to the four elements, water, fire, air, earth, which is the vessel of the first three. <clears throat> the, the various different names and numbers making up the account of our parsha of the senses of the 12 tribes consists of codes and ciphers that are bound up with the root forces in the spiritual and physical worlds. Our fragmentation and disarray in today's sophisticated, civilized, quote-unquote, world is in sorry contrast with the order of the camp in the wilds of the desert that saw our birth. Perhaps we need to develop a new way of looking at different types that make up the people of Israel in terms of the order set forth in Bamibar, How near are they to the sanctuary or temple idea or how far away? In other words, if we really want to understand our place, if we really understand how to seek people and to really encourage and really just like be exist, how far or how near are we to the sanctuary? looking at the encampments of the tribes around the the Mishkan, how close are we to Hashem or how not close? And those of us who are close to Hashem, were called Yehudim. Those of us who are far from Hashem are called Goyim, non-Jews. And the thing is, what determines if you're a Jew is not so much your bloodline or your race, but it's your commitment, your decision to Hashem. Have you actually been converted? Have you even professed in your heart that you're, you belong to Hashem and you're his servant? Are you a not-save-a-nishma person? We will do and we will hear. Or are you a I don't care kind of person? So this is how we look at ourselves. This is how we should anyway. Because when we do that, we understand what we're working with. We understand who we are. And we understand what we need to do and how we need to develop and how we need to grow. At the end of the day, what do we know? what do we know? Baruch HaBad B'Shem Adonai. Baruch HaTadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vekaye Olam Natabetokeinu, Baruch Notain Noten HaTorah. Amen. Amen. Again, I apologize for my voice, but Toda Rabah for joining me on this podcast. Shalom and Shavu tof.